today we're going to talk about good level design. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Um, welcome to the 13th episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. I'm your host, Zaccavelli. Um, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Zaccavelli underscore. Um, you can find me on Instagram at the same handle. Also want to give a big shout out to everyone on the Discord. Um, the Discord's grown pretty nicely, uh, and there's some great discussions there. People of all sorts of skill levels, um, sort of collaborating ideas and figuring stuff out and yeah it's just a good space uh to show off your work or maybe learn from some others and of course to participate in the game dev challenge speaking of the game dev challenge this last episodes was my favorite that we've done so far the prompt was to design a piece of loot from a loot heavy video game and that would be like a video game like diablo or path of exile you know games like that and so I want to read the uh, submission with the most um, sort of votes on the Discord. And this submission comes from Nibling. Brawl's Bearded Axe, a slightly rusted Skagox, and in parentheses, skull-splitting axe, that once belonged to the raider Brawled. Legend tells that he was undefeated in battle, but was tricked into drowning in the local sound. And then it has some stats. Um, it says damage plus 30, speed minus 10, crit chance plus 40%, wisdom negative 15. And it has a special modifier that says crit damage is doubled on headshot. And then it also, he included a sprite along with it. Um, and it looks like the game he designed this for was kind of like a uh, low pixel count kind of classic uh, sort of old school RPG. So I want to talk about why I really like this submission. And it's not necessarily for the gameplay mechanics, because if you look at the stats, it's actually pretty standard for, you know, these kinds of video games. You got some um, modifications to like your damage and your speed and your wisdom and double crit damage. So all those things are pretty par for the course when it comes to these kinds of games. But what this submission does an excellent job of is world building around the actual item. It tells a story just contained within this item. First off, even the use of the language is well thought out. I didn't know what a skigox was until I looked it up, and it's sort of like a Viking hatchet looking thing. And then even like little things like calling a river a sound. <laughs> Maybe I'm just looking too deep into it because I suppose it's possible Nibligs from a part of the world where they just call river sounds. Um, maybe I'm just an idiot, but I don't know. I think that's cool because that makes, to me, it makes it feel like it's, you know, a little bit more fantastical. And yeah, so even if even if they Nibling just happened to write that uh, language because that's just what they say where he's from, he still does a good job of tying the item to the story with the way that he did the stats. If you'll notice, one of the major stats, and this is a pretty punishing thing, uh, wisdom minus fifteen. I don't know. Uh, maybe you get a maybe the numbers are a lot higher in this than typical games, but. Minus 15 wisdom, 
that's a pretty big cost. And obviously, um, the balance doesn't matter too much here, right? Because these are fictional games. But what this minus 15 does is it ties the item sort of effects to the story that he's telling with the item. It's clear from the context that he included with the item that Brawled maybe wasn't the um, wisest person. And now this opens all sorts of interesting doors. Is there something magical about this axe that made him unwise? Or was he just unwise and he somehow like imbued his um, lack of wisdom into the item? It's interesting. It's got me asking all these questions and thinking of this fictional world where Brawled existed. And yeah, that's that's a really cool sort of effect of having an item that tells a story. Because it got me thinking more about the world that this item exists in without even telling me to do so. And that's really cool for a basically a fictional weapon. Um, I think it's really good storytelling and I think it's mixed with uh, a game mechanic that also furthers the story and it wraps it all up into a nice package that I think makes for a pretty cool uh, piece of loot. So congrats to Nieblig on winning um, last episode's Game Dev Challenge. So for next week's Game Dev Challenge, I'm going to want you to draw and share a 2D level. Uh, I recommend that you do it in the style of either Mario or like the first Zelda's dungeons, kind of the room by room uh, type thing. And of course, today's episode is about level design, so you'll learn some things about it. The submissions are not going to be judged based on their art. I'm going to be more interested in the structure of your level, and we're going to talk about structure later. And for this, I know it sounds pretty complicated, but for this, literally, you can just draw it on a piece of paper. Honestly, that's what I do when I like do my preliminary level designs. I just stick drawing on a piece of paper because I find that it's the fastest and easiest way to do it. So yeah, I recommend you do like a Mario style level or like I said, a Zelda dungeon. Um, draw it on a piece of paper, maybe include some notes in the margin if you got to explain something. And yeah, what I've really liked uh, from doing these game dev challenges on the Discord is that other people have been kind of engaging with the submissions and, you know, adding reactions or votes. And yeah, I, just, I guess I want to thank everyone in the Discord for engaging with that. That's how we all are going to get better, and that's the whole point of doing the Game Dev Challenge, is learning from each other, critiquing each other. And so, yeah, um, everyone can draw on a piece of paper a level. So, yeah, I would encourage everyone to do it and uh, share it on the Discord. Look at other people's and share your thoughts about theirs. So with that, let's uh, get into the body of the episode. So today's episode is about level design. And first I should kind of explain what level design really is. Here's how I think of it. I think of it as one half of the game design formula. Up to this point, we kind of mostly talked about the mechanical side of game design. Whenever I was talking about game design, we were talking about how the mechanics work. That would be like how you move or how you attack, stuff like that. Level design is the opposite side of this coin. It's what you move on or who or where you attack. And good level design shows off the mechanics and allows the player to fully utilize the mechanics. And that's why I think of them as opposite sides of the same coin. Because you can ruin a great mechanic with poor level design. If you don't have anything to show off your great mechanic, then your great mechanic is pretty much lost. And the flip side is true as well. 
you can have great level design, but if you don't give your player anything to navigate through the level or in general interact with the world in a cool way, then your game design will be thrown off. So I'm just going to go through um, some tips for good level design. So the first thing we should do is start with the idea that we want to tell the player what to do without saying how to do it. And of course, um, this, o this only goes so far, right? You don't want to leave them in the dark about like the controls and just say like, you got to figure out how to play the game. And I can see that my next note is figuring out how is the fun part which sounds like a PR scam from like a AAA company about why they didn't put in a tutorial in their game. That's definitely something like EA would do. But I think there is some truth to uh, that idea that figuring out how is the fun part. Of course, you want to introduce your player smoothly so that they have the basics down, but you want to leave the rest up to them. And I think a, a good thing to have in mind is you want to find the balance between um, just having your player wandering aimlessly or being like totally on rails locked into one path. You want to give them the freedom to do things how they want, but also guide them uh, in the right direction. One of the ways that's a good way to do this is to offer multiple paths. So in general, most levels have a start and end point, And just make sure that there's not just one way to get from point A to point B. And a good thing to mix with this idea is a risk-reward ratio uh, with these alternate paths. So maybe the main path is, you know, a low to medium difficulty, but you offer a secondary path that is higher difficulty but offers a better reward. This can be in the form of a shortcut or maybe some loot along the way, something like that, just to keep your risk-reward ratio uh, worth it. And another thing you should think about um, is how relevant your level is. Um, your level should always either introduce, show off, or subvert a mechanic. If you have a level in your game that doesn't do one of those three things, then it's probably just filler. And there was a time when it was kind of acceptable to have filler levels in games, but with as many games as there are now and how good everyone has gotten, uh, kind of in this golden age of indie games. I just think that um, filler levels do not go over well uh, anymore. And so, yeah, just make sure your level is either introducing a mechanic, showing off a mechanic, or subverting a mechanic. And I want to bring up a... Uh, I watched a GDC talk about level design, which I'll link in the show notes. Um, but one thing I learned from it was Ubisoft has a motto for level design and it goes learn, play, challenge, and surprise. And I really like this idea um, because it kind of fits in with what I just said about introduce, show off, or subvert your mechanics. And you generally want to do it in that order. This kind of gets into like pacing of video games, um, which I'll definitely have an episode on at some point. But yeah, I just think it's important to have this in mind. Make sure that your levels are relevant and they're doing one of those things that we mentioned. So you'll notice that the last thing I said about Ubisoft's sort of motto is surprise. And I think surprise is very important in level design. Um, predictable levels are just boring because you kind of can fall into like a routine. Not that routines are bad, but it's exciting sometimes to 
break out of the routine. Um, fun can come from uncertainty. This kind of gets in back into the difficulty, um, the design and difficulty episode. But remember that we want to provide challenges for the player to overcome. And if we are just in this predictable loop, um, all the levels are, you know, more or less the same with no surprises, then it's really easy to just kind of go through the motions and be bored. So I guess just don't be afraid to take some risks um, with your levels and offer some surprises. And by surprises, I don't mean like um, kaizu blocks. Um, If you don't know what a kaizu block is, in Super Mario, this is kind of before Mario Maker came out, um, people would make like custom Mario levels and put them up on the internet. And one of like the dirtiest tricks was to do this thing called a kaizu block, which is an invisible coin block that turns visible once you hit it. And then you, let's say you're like on the last jump right before you get to the flag in Mario, you would put the invisible block right at the like peak of that jump. And so the person would think like, oh, the level's over and like go to jump into the flag and they would hit the block and then fall down the chasm and die and of course it was invisible so they didn't even know it was coming and it it's like funny it's like a meme but at the same time if your whole level is just kaizu blocks that's not a good uh, <laughs> that's not a good level design surprise what i mean by surprises is like i said earlier um that your level should one of the things your level should do is subvert a mechanic so let's say you are making a platforming mario style game you could subvert a mechanic about jumping, for instance. Um, maybe there is a level where jumping is actually heavily discouraged and you want to keep Mario on the ground for as much as the level as possible. This would be a surprise because obviously the whole game is conditioning you to do all these sort of acrobatic jumps and then you come up on a level that kind of subverts that mechanic and that no longer becomes the thing that you want to do. Now you got to be careful with this, right? Because you can't throw your player so far off that it's just frustrating. And in fact, in Mario, there's those swimming levels that are classically, uh, you know, I think everyone agrees that they're not as good as the platforming in Mario. And so I can see how in the original design, they probably thought, well, here's a way to subvert the mechanic. I think the problem with that is they didn't keep enough of the original mechanic in those levels. And so it kind of felt disjointed because there's no running or jumping. It's kind of this weird floaty thing. So yeah, when you offer your surprise, make sure that it's not, you know, frustrating or unfair to the player and make sure that has enough of the core mechanics in it, but just offer a new twist on the core mechanics. The next thing I want to talk about is um, environmental design. This kind of goes hand in hand with level design, uh, but this is how you tell a story with your level. And this can be a really cool way, just like how I talked about in the um, game dev challenge about telling a story with your piece of loot. Telling a story with your level can be much more powerful than telling a story with just like straight up dialogue. It kind of lets the player fill in the blanks and like let them discover what happens. It's a lot cooler to kind of come to your own conclusions than to just be told via text or someone saying it to you. And a good way to do this is small details like if you had a 3D game, um, maybe it's a horror game, and you come into a room and the food is left on the table and maybe like there's a coffee or something that's still steaming. 
that tells you a lot about what happened in the room. It tells you that there were people there, there were people recently there because the coffee is still hot, but they left in a hurry or they disappeared or something happened because nobody just leaves food on the table. <laughs> I, I certainly don't. Uh, if there's food on the table, I'm going to eat it. And it's going to take a scary demon or something to make me leave. Honestly, I'd probably risk my life to bring the plate with me. But yeah, I think that's a good example of showing, um, or rather telling a story through your environmental design using your level. And so it doesn't really have anything to do with the gameplay. It certainly can, but it's a really cool way to... Uh, kind of let your player experience the story rather than be told the story. So now you've got some good ideas about how you're going to make your level with multiple paths, interesting risk rewards, um, you're going to have surprises and cool environmental design, and what you're going to find is that now you know all these things, try to implement them, um, it's going to take a really long time to do this. If you give each level, each interaction level, that amount of care and love, it's going to take a really long time to do that piece by piece. And for some people, that might actually work, especially if your game is um, has like really simple mechanics or kind of fits well with that like handcrafted style. But if you're relying on having a lot of content for your game, then you're going to want to utilize modular level design. And this is a good idea because it allows you to sort of uh, design sections of levels and then you can combine the sections in cool and interesting ways that allows you to make a lot more levels with a little bit less work. And it's not that the levels aren't any less detailed or are kind of lazy. It's that in the way you design, you design things so that they can be reused and sort of called back to. And this is actually good for the player, I think, because the player's learning all the time while playing your game. So if you call back to things they have learned prior, uh, they're going to be pretty well equipped. And also, this is going to set them up for a big surprise when they've been learning through all of your sort of modular design that's a little bit the same, uh, but mixed up differently. And then finally, you hit them with the surprise that maybe isn't so much a part of the modular design. And um, yeah, I think it has that double effect of both teaching them consistently but also setting them up for a surprise. And so a good example of this is like um, the Zelda dungeons or not necessarily the Zelda dungeons actually because I'm not sure if they do switch it up, but how about a game like Binding of Isaac where the rooms are procedurally generated? Now, this is kind of just like the computer doing modular design for you, but you could easily make a bunch of different rooms, um, interesting rooms to go in and leave with items and monsters and all that and you can mix and match these rooms so that it keeps the gameplay fresh it offers you a lot of content and it makes it easy to make a lot of content for the player now you have to be smart in the way that you organize these rooms like i said earlier you don't want to reuse the same patterns too much because then the game starts to feel samey and you fall into that predictable trap and so i want to present you with this example let's say we designed a puzzle room and then a ambush room. An ambush room is just a room with monsters in it. And we're assuming the player is going to follow a linear path and we're going to say, do they want to go through the puzzle room first or the ambush room? Now, me personally, I would put the puzzle room first and then the ambush room next. 
I think this offers good pacing, right? Because the puzzle is a little bit, uh, it's slower, but it scratches a different inch, itch, you know? It scratches sort of the cerebral itch, I guess you could say. And then you get the adrenaline in the next room with the ambush. And it's sort of this stark contrast that's interesting. But if you're following the sort of idea of roller coaster pacing, which is you have a build up and then like a fun um, dive, and then you build it up and have a fun dive. Um, if you put the ambush first, then you're kind of putting the down part of the roller coaster first. And so after the ambush, you're going to be all tense, and then you're not going to be like as ready to solve a puzzle, in my opinion. Now, of course, this has to do with your mechanics and your story and all sorts of other things that tie into this, but from a strictly level design standpoint, I would try and do the roller coaster sort of design where you build it up and then provide the fun drop. And then you kind of have like a slower moment and then you build it up and provide this fun drop. And so that's why when you're combining these kinds of rooms, I would put the puzzle rooms before the ambush rooms. And you'll have to extrapolate that to your game. Maybe your game doesn't have puzzles, but it has like crafting or something like that. You do a crafting section and then a fighting section or a Maybe your game has some kind of romance type system. So you do like the dialogue romance stuff and then the fighting. Or maybe the dialogue romance works better as a sort of break in between the builds up and crashes. It's the way that you link these modular designs together that counts. So if you have good modular designs and you link them properly, you'll end up with a good level. So let's talk about another way and a thing that you I don't think you should do when trying to be more efficient with your time in level designing. And this is one um, method that has been used in video games for quite some time, although it's kind of falling out of favor, and that's the idea of backtracking. Backtracking is where you go to the end of the level, and then to finish the level, you have to walk back basically through the level. AAA studios do this so that they can use their art assets twice and kind of spend more time with their art assets. You know, they pay so much to make these beautiful assets really but the reality of it is most players just like speed run through the game and go right past them don't even notice some of them so instead of designing like two levels um, and paying the cost to make assets for both you can use like a bi-directional design where you go one way through level and then you go back through the level but in my opinion backtracking has really fallen out of favor with the players in probably the last 10 years or so. And I would say if you're going to do it, I certainly understand why you would do it. Because like I said, you can reuse your assets and it's an efficient way to design a game. If you're going to do it, make sure you have gameplay on the way there and gameplay on the way back. Or do like how we talked about, um, I can't remember what episode it is, but we talked about the idea of levolution, where the level actually changes midway through the game. What you don't want to do is just have them backtrack through an empty level because that really kills the pacing, it really kills the fun, and I just don't think it's good level design. So the last thing I want to talk about is my golden rule of making a game, which is to evoke a feeling. Level designs work awesome with this idea. Um, if you think about it, the level design is sort of the setting that your game exists in, not only from a setting from like a story and narrative standpoint, but also the setting that your player is navigating and you can do a lot for the emotional part of the game with how you do the setting 
So an example of this, if you have a horror game, you might want to design your levels to have tight corners. This kind of conveys a sense of claustrophobia and it gives your player or sort of actually it makes your player have to peek around these tight corners and it offers a lot of opportunities for like jump scares and sort of the dread of like walking up to a tight corner and being like like you don't want to look because you're afraid something scary is going to be there. Another example of this is to have like giant beautiful open vistas. This gives the player a sort of epic scale and like adventure feeling. A good example of this is Shadow of the Colossus. That game basically only is open vistas and it really um, sort of sets off the idea that it's only boss fights and you can see the boss in the distance for like miles and it just gives you this really sort of epic adventure feeling as you're it's just you and your horse in a giant open field and way in the distance is a big monster it just conveys that feeling it's a piece of art that you're looking at and it's conveying that feeling of the adventure and the best example of evoking a feeling through level design that i can think of is the last level of Halo Reach. If you've never played Halo Reach, I highly, highly recommend it. And I'm going to spoil the ending here, so if you haven't played it, pause the episode, go buy the Master Chief Collection and play it. For real, it's I'm begging you, go play Halo Reach. But anyways, um, the last level of Halo Reach, basically the level starts and throughout the game, like... It'll offer guidance. It'll say what your objective is. A UI element pops up and says current objective, like go here and rescue this person, for instance. But when this level starts, you're in like a sort of a desolate wasteland. Um, there's some broken down buildings for cover. It's kind of dusty, so you can't really see that far. And the current objective pops up and it just says survive. And that's all it tells the player. And then the Covenant ships come in and they start dropping aliens, and you have to fight waves of increasingly harder enemies. What's interesting about this level is you fight to the death no matter what. There is no win state. But the game does not tell you this. Remember, all the objective says is survive. So the whole time, the player, if it's your first playthrough, you think that you can survive. And when you don't expect this, you truly feel the desperation as the game just gets impossibly difficult. And this is like a masterful way to convey the themes and feelings of the game and the story of the game. It's the idea that the invasion of Reach wasn't a battle, it was an evacuation. And the whole story is about the desperation of the Noble Team as they realize that humanity is losing the battle badly and this sort of desperate but also hopeful feeling is perfectly capped with this last stand. It's the idea that although we're losing, we're going to go out with a fight. And this is so perfect because the game lies to you and says, survive. And it makes you think that you can survive. And so it puts you through the in-game feelings of the characters that you're playing. Because the characters thought they would survive. And as you come to find out in the story they die one by one each of them in a really cool way and it shows um sort of their sacrifice for reach and it makes you the player feel this as you do your last stand and you sacrifice for reach but you find this out in an extremely organic way because 
as you're fighting the enemies and they just keep getting harder, you realize like, oh God, my odds of winning this are slim. And the difficulty just keeps spiking and yet you fight to survive anyways because that's what the game tells you to do. And honestly, when you're getting to that last part, you forget the game's telling you to do that. You're just like desperately shooting. You're running out of ammo. And so I think this is a good way. It's one thing to set up like a last stand or a fight for survival via story dialogue. Like they could have easily just had someone radio him and say like, hey, you're the last guy, cover our retreat or whatever. But this dials it up a notch and makes you feel like you're fighting for survival in sort of like a last stand way. And it's not just from the story that does this, the gameplay does this too. You're in an open wasteland with a few buildings for cover. Um, all of the power weapons that you learn throughout the game are kind of spread out around these decrepit buildings. All the armor abilities are around there, but you only have a limited amount of ammo. So you just got to learn everything that you learn throughout the game to survive as long as possible. And it just accumulates in one final epic last stand that does the golden rule perfectly. It makes you feel something. It makes you feel like you sacrificed for reach. And that to me is the pinnacle of using level design for the golden rule. So yeah, with all that, I'm just going to um, summarize everything for you. Um, level design is important because it complements your mechanics. Remember that you need both good mechanics and good level design to have good game design. Um, you want to do this by telling the player what to do, but letting them decide how to do it. A good way to mix it up for them is to offer multiple paths with varying risk-reward ratios. And remember that all of your levels should be relevant, they shouldn't be used for padding, and you can do this by either introducing a mechanic, showing off a mechanic, or subverting a mechanic. The subversion one is kind of a big deal because it offers a surprise to the player, and it keeps them out of the monotonous loop. Remember that you want to tell a story with your environments, and use the levels to build the world and build the story. You can do this with small details sort of placed around your level. They don't have to be, you know, gameplay oriented. They can just kind of be subtly in the background. A little bit of subtlety actually goes a long way. And most importantly, do not forget the golden rule. Your levels should make the player feel something. They can feel triumph, they can feel desperation, it can make them feel like they're on an epic adventure, it can be tight and claustrophobic and scary. Just make sure when you're designing your levels you have that thought planned out, what you want them to feel, and then when you're designing your level, execute on this idea. So with that, I think I'm going to end the episode. Remember, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Zaccavelli underscore Instagram on the same handle. Come join our um, Discord. We've built a super cool community, and there's a lot of people helping out each other. There's a lot of people discussing games, discussing careers. And of course, taking part in the Game Dev uh, Challenge. Remember to submit your 2D level designs to the Game Dev Challenge this week uh, and vote on other people's and offer your thoughts and votes on uh, other people's submissions. And uh, yeah, I think that's going to do it. So thanks for listening. Um, I've been your host, Zach Pour one out for Noble Team. I'll see you guys next time.